Welcome to Old Books with Grace. I'm Dr. Grace Hammond, medievalist scholar, wife and mom, lover of Christmas music, which is, of course, the inspiration and grounding for this series on Advent and Christmas carols. Before I get into this week's song, um, just a few reminders that I usually do at the end of the episode, but because this series is structured around music and meditation, these are a little awkward at the end. Um, (laughs) I don't want to ruin your meditative capacity with my Instagram handle. So um, let me just remind you that I love to hear from you. Let me know what you thought about this episode or this series or any questions that you have. If you'd like, you can follow me on Instagram at Old Books with Grace or on Twitter at Grace Hammond PhD. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it with a friend or um, rate it on iTunes or subscribe because doing these things helps other folks find this podcast and it helps me out too. The text of this episode is also available as well as any links that I mention um, at oldbookswithgrace.com if you need to go check that out. So some folks like me love Christmas music because the sounds are so familiar and comforting. We know them like the back of our hand. We think they're beautiful, and it's a source of comfort and and joy. Other people, also understandably, even though personally I don't relate, feel differently. Christmas music and its repetition each year are grating, and um, each attitude can obscure the meanings and the feelings of the song, either the comfort and the um, falling back into this relaxing, lovely song or the irritation and annoyance of, oh my gosh, here we are again listening to Joy of the World for the 80th time. So to shake you out of whichever category you fall into, and I assume you fall into the first since you're listening to a series about Christmas carols, um, but either way, I chose a song for this week that most of us aren't singing on a regular basis. It certainly is not playing in the mall at any point anywhere in America. It's a song that is basically the opposite of Let It Snow or any other holly jolly holiday song. It's the haunting, weird, unsettling Coventry Carol. The Coventry Carol, which is originally from the 15th or 16th century, consists of the lullabies of the mothers whose children are about to die in the slaughter of the innocents, when Herod ordered the murders of the baby boys of of Bethlehem. The song was written to accompany the traditional plays that depicted the life of Jesus, the mystery plays, as they were called, in the town of Coventry in England. The mystery plays were a long-standing tradition in medieval England, only brought to an end by the Reformation and its profound discomfort with portraying Christ on stage. The most famous, whose scripts survive today, were those that took place in the city of York at Midsummer on the feast day of Corpus Christi, which was the holy day that commemorated Christ's body present in the Eucharist. These were plays that told the stories of the Bible bit by bit. This is how I described them in a previous podcast episode. Guilds, the organizations of different tradespeople and artisans, 
perform plays depicting the Bible from creation to revelation outside on elaborate floats and sets that moved through the streets of the towns. An especially charming feature of these plays is that the content of the play often loosely determine the guild in charge of it. So, for example, the fishers and mariners, the the fishermen and the sailors, put on the flood at York. More soberly, the shearmen, who are the the folk who sheared cloth, made it, you know, smooth, um, performed the road to Calvary in an echo of the sheep sheared before slaughter. The pinners, the makers of pins and nails, and the painters depicted the raising of the cross. The butchers, who certainly had access to a lot of blood, put on the mortification of Jesus on the cross and his death. Some plays were elaborate and some were rather simple, but all were performed over the days commemorating Corpus Christi, which was that summer feast of the body of Christ that especially honored the Eucharist. These plays brought liturgy to life. Biblical history unfolded in your time and place, enacted by and through your neighbor's bodies before your very eyes. Perhaps your friend was Jesus on the cross, or your enemy was Jesus teaching in the temple. When you stop to think about it, such representations were pretty profound, particularly on the Feast of Corpus Christi. The body of Christ in God's broken earthly kingdom of 15th century York, England, reenacted the saga of Christ and his body in 1st century Palestine. These plays vividly remind their viewers through their strange literality. You are Corpus Christi, and so am I. Through the miracle of the Eucharist, we are united in Christ's resurrected body. So the Coventry Carol today doesn't come from York, but from Coventry, as one might imagine, a smaller town whose plays no longer survive. But we do have this song and a couple others, the Coventry Carol, and we know they were embedded in the Nativity play. So the Nativity play of Coventry covered Mary's Annunciation all the way to the Holy Family's flight to Egypt. And so in there, we have the bereaved mothers of Bethlehem singing this song in anticipation of the death of their baby boys. It's based on Matthew 2, 16 through 18, which I'll read for you to jog your memory. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. Let's listen to the song together. Lule, lule, thou little tiny child, bye-bye, lule. Tiny child, 
to preserve this day this poor youngling for whom we sing bye bye lule 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 thou little tiny child bye bye lule lule there the king in his raging charge it he hath this day his men of might in his own sight all children young to slay that woe is me poor child for thee and ever mourn and say for thy parting child. Bye-bye, Lule, Lule. You might be thinking, Grace, why would you pick this song for Advent? Advent is not a feast day like Christmas itself. It's part of the church's ancient cycle of feasts and fasts, rejoicing and lamenting, laughing and weeping. If we focus too much on one or the other, we miss the full picture of what it means to follow Jesus here on earth. Historically, Advent was a time for fasting, for penance, for remembering our shared bodily limitations and the ways we have wounded one another, before that marvelous celebratory excess of Christmastide. And this song reminds us of our need for lamentation and for weeping in the body of Christ. Medieval people believed in weeping for God's love and for the world's sorrows as a spiritual gift. They called it the gift of tears, and in it they saw the presence of the Holy Spirit. For example, the medieval mystical writer Marjorie Kemp wept, or as she illuminatingly called it, roared all the time, loudly and in public, for her love of Jesus and her sorrow for the world. Then, of course, there's also just tears, the tears of grief and loss and loneliness and despair. When I listen to the Coventry Carol, I consider not only the women weeping in Bethlehem, but Mary weeping at the foot of the cross. And I think of today's mothers who mourn the unjust or cruel deaths of their children. It's worth remembering that King Herod, as a king, represented that unholy alliance between religion and the power of the Roman state. It makes me think of the weeping mothers of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and all the other people killed by state violence. I recall the migrant and refugee mothers whose children die in the desert near where I grew up. I think of the mothers whose children have been unjustly imprisoned. I think of the mothers whose children have been harassed, beaten, or driven to self-harm. Not to mention the countless, countless mothers across the world who lose their children to war, famine, and disease. There are so many reasons to weep like Rachel and Rama. 
In November 1940, the town of Coventry, the origin, the birthplace of this song, was heavily bombed by the Nazis. 30,000 bombs were dropped, hundreds, maybe even a thousand people killed, and 41,000 houses damaged or destroyed. On Christmas 1940, the provost of the destroyed cathedral broadcast a short sermon on BBC radio. And as he put it, whoever was left of his ruined choir sang this tune. It's a haunting thing to listen to, and I've posted it on oldbookswithgrace.com if you want to hear it yourself. But here's a small quote from Provost Howard from that 25th of December 1940. Early this Christmas morning, here under these ruins in the lovely little stone chapel built 600 years ago, we began the day with our Christmas communion, worshiping the Christ, believe me, as joyfully as ever before. What we want to tell the world is this, that with Christ born again in our hearts today, we are trying, hard as it may be, to banish all thoughts of revenge. We are going to try to make a kind, kinder, simpler, a more Christ-child-like sort of world in the days beyond this strife. If you keep listening, you'll hear the provost standing among the ruins of his church and town, urging his listeners, which of course include us across the great divide of years, to fight that desire to become like Herod. For that's our great temptation. We want to rule. We're tempted to destroy any threat to our supremacy as individuals, as ethnic groups, as cultural leaders, as nations. You may be scoffing right now. Of course, in 1940, the Nazis were spitting images of Herod, literally destroying the newest generation of Jewish children. Yet, as the provost at Christmas 1940 wisely calls us to attend to our own desire for dominion, how could I be a Herod is a fair question. You're not a a petty king of a part of Palestine, nor are you a world leader right now. But I know, if I'm honest with myself, that the Herodian temptation acts in my soul. It's a temptation on the lowest as well as the highest levels. Because it's easy, isn't it, to see the Herodian impulse in the political party that you hate or those you profoundly disagree with. It's slightly harder, but not that much harder in the Herod-littered realms of history, especially if it's the history of your own ancestors or nation. It's hardest to see Herod in myself in the ways I sideline voices who threaten my carefully curated world of safety or how I attempt to control situations to ensure that what I want to happen does happen, which, spoiler alert, that doesn't work. (laughs) From the depths of World War II, at one of its lowest moments, Provost Howard urges us to reject the Herod in us, even when we have been bombed to oblivion by our enemies and become like the tiny infant Jesus to create a kinder, gentler world. And take comfort. The medieval Corpus Christi plays remind us, he is already with you. He is deeper than your skin, present in the sacraments, and even in the body of you and your neighbor. For when God became a little baby, he shared our embodiment. All embodied folk are no longer only his creation. They are his holy kindred his beloved family. 
The image of God is in each one of us, and not just in our souls, but in our very bodies, through that Eucharist we consume, but also through the reality and totality of the Incarnation. This was one of the messages of the Corpus Christi plays in Medieval Coventry. When your neighbor that you didn't even like played Jesus, it reminded you of how you aren't just part of Christ's body with the people you like or approve of. The body is bigger than you can dream, larger than your judgment, even than your hope. As Christians, we say we believe in the tired but true phrase of the sanctity of human life. Let us lament together this week on how we have managed to live out unbelief in the holiness of every person, how we have been like Herod and not like Jesus. Practice waiting with hope and lament for Jesus by meditating or reaching out to a grieving friend or family member. If you're feeling extra medieval this week, you might feel called to pray for Marjorie Kemp's gift of tears as we meditate on the Coventry Carol. But let's go further as well. If you choose, the action for this week of Advent is to give. I encourage you, in a time filled with the fun and weariness of purchasing gifts for our friends and family members, to also use your money to honor our incarnate God by giving to an organization that seeks to honor bodies that may be different than your own, with lives different than your own, but no less share the beauty of Christ's embodiment. Many of us tithe or give to churches or particular ministries, but take a minute this Advent to contribute to a place you don't normally give. Give to organizations that support folks that have faced the wrath of powerful Herods pretty personally. So here are some thoughts and suggestions and take them or leave them. Um, Find and seek out what you feel called to do. So you might be interested in groups that advocate for immigrants and refugees like the Holy Family themselves. Groups that advocate for prisoners and those on death row. Groups that faithfully tell folks rejected because of their sexuality or gender that they're worthy of love. Or groups that provide safe housing and help for pregnant women. Or groups that advocate for people of color, especially children and impoverished folks. Here are a few organizations you could look into, or you could find one that you feel particularly drawn to yourself. These are just ones that, as I was Googling and thinking about the dignity of the human person and our shared embodiment that uh, appealed to me in the moment. The Kino Border Initiative, which is a group composed of Catholic organizations feeding, housing, and advocating for immigrants in Nogales, Arizona, and Nogales, Mexico. The National Coalition to Abolish the Death Penalty, the oldest anti-death penalty organization in the United States. New Wave Feminists, a feminist, consistently pro-life organization working towards a world where women don't feel they need abortion to thrive. The Trevor Project, which provides a suicide hotline for LGBTQ youth. Mothers Against Senseless Killings, a community-based organization in Chicago fighting street violence. Every Town for Gun Safety, the largest safe gun policy advocacy group in America. And Moms of Black Boys, which advocates for a safer future for the lives of black boys in America. If you're interested in giving to any of those organizations, I'll have all the links up at oldbookswithgrace.com. 
And as always, only do these Advent activities if you're in a place where you can do them or if it's helpful to you. For, for some folks who are in the pit of grief right now, this action may feel like too much, and that's okay too. You may want to instead embrace your own bodily limitations, like the incarnate God, and take a nap this week. Deliberately seek out some really intentional rest time. I'm going to play the Coventry Carol one more time. And you can reflect on it, or you can turn it off, whatever you please. Thanks again for listening to Old Books of Grace. Lule, lule, thou little tiny child, bye-bye, Child.